Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Rusty Quill presents There's something very wrong with me. I don't know what it is. I just... I just don't understand it. I suppose, if I really think about it, it all started when I went to the toilet. Oh, no, not not like that. Well, actually, yes, it was like that. I was having a wee. But it was what happened after. That's when I had that first funny feeling. It came out of nowhere. I'm... I'm trying to think what the trigger was. What made me change so suddenly. And for the life of me, I can't think of a bloody thing. It actually pisses me off quite a bit. And also leaves me... somewhat scared. It came over me like a... like a delicate spiderweb just softly falling down and wrapping itself all around me. I was none the wiser and things just changed. It was like, like a force was within me. Someone, no, definitely not someone, something within me, telling me what to do and feel and think. But in a fraction of a second, there were no thoughts or ponderings. It just happened. Go there, do this, have a look at this tile, touch it. No, not like that, see? Now you've gone and thrown yourself into the opposite wall. I told you that was the wrong way. Yes, like that. Now take out the secret futuristic gun that you've never seen before in your life. Yes, you know about it. Well, not really. I know about it, whatever I am. And I'm somehow controlling you right now, whether you want me to or not. And now we're going to put the tile back in its proper place, make it look like it was never touched, 
This way no one will know. And now it's time to go on a killing spree. Let's start murdering people, shall we? Oh no, you don't get a say in the matter. It's all out of your hands, so to speak, but very much in your head, and beyond your control. And off we go then, in search of our first victim. And who just happens to be looking around Ostium in search of a way out, an escape, a means of egress? One of them. A helpless young man who has no fucking clue what the hell is going on. A perfect first victim. So let's follow him and see what he's up to then. Give your pretense that you're in some sort of control of your faculties, but really you're not. Oh good, there he is, cornered. And now he's seen you, which is going to provoke a reaction. And you're left with only one option. Shoot the poor helpless wretch. Didn't that feel good? No, it didn't. Doesn't bloody matter. You have no control, no say in the matter. Let's move along then. And inside, I feel like I'm being torn apart and squashed into an infinitesimal ball of nothingness. And there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. I just... I just want to bloody give up. Killing spree doesn't end with a single death. Wouldn't be much of a spree then, would it? I go through door after door, at times wondering if I'll ever return to Ostium and be free of this controlling curse. Sometimes I'm sort of myself, feeling I have some authority over my being and my mind. And yet, in the back of my brain, there is a sense that I know this is not true. It's not my current reality. I'm little more than a toy, a puppet. Whether I'm Punch or Judy remains to be seen, but has little bearing on this new existence. Resistance, as one Captain Jean-Luc Picard let us know when he'd been taken over by the alien race known as the Borg, is futile. So the doors come and go, and so do the men that soon become bodies, corpses, stiffs. Victims of the business end of the laser gun I'm forced to point at them and fire. I feel like a little piece of me dies inside with each death, each murder. Because I know it's something I can't take back, no matter how much I want to. And even if I wasn't my full unconscious self, it was my hand that held the gun. My arm that held it steady. My finger that pulled the trigger. That first kill, when it made me drag the body through the door into the casino building on Catalina and left it in that cinema, in the chair, as a parting gift for Jake and Monica. Even though I wasn't physically doing it, I wasn't in control of myself by any means. In that roomy larder at the back of my mind, I was aware. I was very bloody aware of what I was doing. Screaming, biting, scratching, spitting, doing fucking anything to get a reaction, to get something of myself back. No effect. Nothing happened. Did fuck all. And I had to just suffer through it. When it, using my body, carefully placed the corpse of Richard Kaling, knowing full well what it was doing for those who would eventually see it, I knew as soon as we came into the cinema, recognised where I was, and then realised what it was making me do. Nothing I could do to stop it. 
It was beyond terrible. It was agony. And now I'm standing here, sort of myself, and I have no clue when I'm not going to be me again, when it's going to extend its talon-like fingers and take over again. But let me get to where I left off first and clue everyone in on what the fuck is exactly going on here. To the best of my ability, that is. That last time, going through the spaceship or space station, whatever it was, I still don't know for certain, I felt more aware and in charge of myself than I'd felt in a long time. The thing that takes over me, as I said before, I have no clue what it is, what it consists of, whether it has a corporeal form, whether it's supernatural, or in what plane it possibly exists. It's beyond my ken in any shape or form. Even after everything I've read about and learned through the truly enriching experience that is the enigmatic mysteries of the unknown, and in turn Ostium. But I've been thinking trying to wrap my mind around what this thing might be, where it might have come from, what its origin, its genesis is. I know this is something that Jake is very good at, and I honestly wish he were here with me now. He must be somewhere, right? If he's alive, of course. I have no bloody clue. I do know, or at least I think I know, that I'm alive. As far as Jake's concerned, well, any proof remains to be seen. However, things look pretty fucking bleak right now in regards to one Jake Fisher. But the thing, the entity, it's got to be a part of Ostium, a part of the foundation of this world, for lack of a better word. Because Ostium is its own contained self, its own existence and reality. There's nowhere else like it. Nowhere else where these specific rules apply and don't at the same time. Does the entity exist because Ostium seems to be something good and pure that takes you to these magical places in time and space? If there is to be this good, there must be a balance in the bad. The evil. Hence the possible loss of life that Jake has hinted at may be related to Ostium. The radiation cloud that killed so many of my fellow people. The earthquakes and tsunamis. The other devastations. And now, there's me, going on a murderous rampage. It's got to be related to the blackness. Jake has always described it as something sinister and dooming. Even if he's never let the blackness actually take him. Until he did. Until it took us. And it seems that's the end of that. But then there's also what Monica has seen and experienced. The screams, the ghoulish sounds, the banshees. There seems to be either a lot of somethings at work here, trying to fuck everyone over, or one big bad guy or bad thing running the show. My thoughts lean towards the latter. But I really need to get back to talking about what just happened to me. I can tell I've been avoiding it, leading up to it and then going on perpetual tangents, talking about everything but the so-called gorilla in the room. Or is that a bull in a china shop? 
I blasely talk about how saddened I am about the loss of Jake when the blackness took him. But I was fucking there. I saw it take him. Just as the blackness took me. Monica went through the door without Jake. Presumably ended up back in Ostium to continue her particular timeline without this Jake in it. But in that other one, there was her Jake. The one she was carrying on her shoulder. And on the other side, she played it cool. Kept her shit together. And I suppose continued on as if everything was normal and fine as can be in Ostium. (laughs) There I fucking go again. Another tangent. Bloody focus, Dave. Keep it together, mate. You need to. For your own bloody sanity. Okay. As I said an inordinately long time ago, I now feel more in control of my faculties than I have in a long time. Going through the metal doors on that ship or station, and then seeing that strange museum of the future. Heard on the other side of the room, Jake and Monica. Actually, to be more precise, one Monica and two Jakes, one unconscious. They were talking very closely, almost intimately, I thought. And then they reached their monumental decision, The blackness was loud and encroaching at this point. I knew I was completely and utterly fucked. So I just stood there and watched them. I'd already given up. And just as I watched Monica step through, I could feel the entity sinking its claws into my mind, once again taking over me. Was that because the blackness was so close? If this entity is somehow linked with the blackness, then that would make sense. However, after all the times it's taken over me before... The blackness has never seemed to be impending, so why should it be any different this time? Okay, time for the hard part, the bit I've been unable to really describe to myself yet. (sighs) I suppose if the entity starts to take over me at any point now as I'm describing this experience, I'll have a pretty good idea that it's either related to the blackness and or it doesn't want me to fully know what happened to me. Okay, here goes. The last thing I saw was Jake watching Monica go through, and I was so confused. Then the blackness came over me. I couldn't see it not even out of the corners of my eyes, because my focus was on Jake. It was cold to begin with, incredibly. Like if you've ever fallen through ice into semi-frozen water. I personally never have, but I know there are plenty of blokes who have, and I can at least imagine how extremely bloody cold it must be. The sheer shock to your system must be paralyzing. That's what this felt like, absolutely and completely paralyzing. It wasn't quick either, like a cold, thick liquid. A frozen blanket that spent the last day in the freezer and is now enveloping you. Me being shit-scared didn't help either. As it folded over my head with its cold weight, I made the decision to close my eyes and mouth. I didn't know, and I still don't, if this would help prevent the blackness from getting inside of me. But it seemed like a good idea at the time. I put my hands over my face, covering my eyes, nose and mouth, and stuck my thumbs in my ears. Must have looked a right sight, but at that moment it was all about attempted self-preservation. 
The weight and cold pulled me down, and I let it. Had no choice, really. I fell down onto my knees, crouching, curling myself, putting my head between my thighs and trying my best to become a ball-shaped human. No particular reason. It just occurred to me in the moment. Seemed like the safe thing to do. Whether it was or wasn't, it worked. I felt myself getting squashed down, smaller and smaller under this suffocating cold weight. It started to feel a bit like in a dream, where you feel you're falling and spiralling even if you're on solid ground. There was definitely a surreal sense to it, like reality was starting to blend with something else, and I was unsure of what was actually happening to me. It felt like I was starting to turn round, even though I could still feel the floor pushing onto my knees and feet. And because it felt like my body was starting to spin, it made it feel like my mind was spinning. Then I got a horrific image in my head, from watching too many creepy Saturday morning cartoons where the spider is rolling up a fly or some other insect in its web, spinning it round incredibly fast. Was I the insect food for whatever was being done to me? Just when it felt like I couldn't be squashed down anymore, that I was about to be turned into nothingness, or just go splat like a stepped-on pea, the weight just disappeared was gone. The weight and the cold. In a second, or the blink of an eye, if I'd had either eye open, I waited for a number of minutes, counted to a hundred, then did it again just to be sure. I didn't hear anything. Could still feel the floor below me, so that hadn't changed, fortunately. This was where I turned into a complete kid. I slowly got up, sitting up until I was on my haunches, then rising to my feet, while my eyes were shut tight, my hands still covering my face, not wanting to see anything, not wanting to see the truth, wanted to keep hiding from everything, just hoping it would all go away. Of course it wouldn't, but I eventually made myself brave enough to spread my fingers and look between them, at a... a different world. I slowly took my hands away from my face and stared at something that just didn't seem possible. It was all very dark, like it was nighttime. But the buildings all had this white luminescent glow around them, like an outline or a tracing. That was why I didn't really recognize myself at first. And then I worked out what the buildings were, put two and two together. I was somehow back in Ostium. The shapes of the buildings all made sense especially with the doors being outlined. And there were the numbers all lit up too. It felt like I was in some magical place. A Harry Potter world, perhaps, or Disneyland. But then my mind turned to darker thoughts. They were also more accurate. This whole thing also reminded me of that bit in the Lord of the Rings films. The ones by the Kiwi, Peter Jackson. I'm talking about the scenes not where Frodo is constantly fondling that ring, which he does way too fucking often, in my honest opinion. Talk about his bloody precious. But the scenes when he actually puts the ring on, and everything turns into a sort of extremely haunted dream place. All the edges and lines are blurry. That's what it felt like. Fortunately, there wasn't a giant bloody scary eye looking for me, nor any Nazgul. At least not at the moment. Cautiously, I started walking around. 
I wasn't in a particularly recognisable place in Ostium, meaning the front gate wasn't in sight, and neither was the clock tower. But I was still in the areas with the buildings. I started walking down one of the streets, not really sure where I was going. In my mind, I told myself I wanted to find the clock tower, since that was a door I knew would definitely open for me. It was the one guarantee in Ostium, really. The silence was... bloody weird. I know this was an alternate Ostium, maybe on another plane of existence, or in another dimension, but I didn't expect it to be quite so... ominously quiet. And I'm not talking about there being no loud or even audible sounds nearby. I mean more like someone had turned the volume knob all the way down to zero. And I was now, for all intents and purposes, deaf apparently. I tested it. Got to be empirical about this after all, don't we? It's what Jake would want, isn't it? So I walked up to the nearest building and reached out for the wall of blackness. I could see it was a wall because of the white glowing outline but the actual wall itself was all black, like there was nothing there. Nevertheless, I reached out, almost thinking my hand was going to pass through it completely, since it was all black. But no, I felt the wall. The wood, the texture, the solidity of it. It was all very real, even if I couldn't see it. I even knocked on it and heard that sound, even if it seemed muffled, like I had cotton wool in my ears. So where the bloody hell was I? The blackness had come over me, but hadn't killed me. It had... What? Transported me to this elsewhere place? Was that always what it did? Or was this something usual? Was it supposed to kill me, but things got muddled up somehow? Yeah, that's right, likely. Because I'm special, just like Jake. Keep dreaming, mate. But what did this mean for me, then? I felt whole again, honestly, like I was myself and in control of myself, fully me for the first time in ages. Had that blackness somehow caused an effect with the entity that had been controlling me? I wasn't feeling anything right now, which wasn't to say I wouldn't in any moment, but this did feel different. I felt different, more in control. Maybe it was because of where I was, in this bloody strange place where things were anything but what they were supposed to be. I joked about another plane of dimension, but maybe it was the truth. This was all ever so different, so why not then? Why couldn't I be magically free of that menace? I stopped suddenly. I swore I'd heard something. I stayed perfectly still, trying my best not to move imagining the hearing abilities of my ears reaching out in all directions like little satellite dishes, trying to pick up the sound I thought I heard, or trying to prove I wasn't a complete plonker and hadn't heard a bloody thing. No, no, there it was again, shuffling footsteps. Could definitely hear them now. I started tiptoeing towards them. I was curious, but still terrified. I suppose there was always a very small chance it was Monica, but anything else usually meant something shitty. So this time I was going to be extra special careful. I quietly went down an alley and got close to the next main street. The footsteps were a lot closer now. I made it to the corner and counted to five, trying to keep my breathing even and as quiet as possible. When I'd made myself brave enough to do something, 
which I expected was just before I started legging it in the complete opposite direction. I stuck my head out around the corner to see what was making those oh-so-noticeable footstep sounds. I didn't know who or what it was at first. What with the little amount of light there was in this place, being able to recognize what this actually was was going to be bloody tricky. I was pretty sure it was human, a person, walking up the street. No clue who it might be. Definitely not someone I recognized. He or she was pretty short in stature. The upper part of the body was hunched over, not because they were holding something, but more that was just their shape, possibly due to old age or a disability. It made me think the person might be a geriatric, an octogenarian, or a centenarian perhaps. Had they received their letter from the Queen? They kept disappearing in shadow, and then appearing again with a bit of light. For such a short time, it was really hard to see what they looked like. I could barely tell what they were wearing. It looked thick and heavy. But it was pretty bloody cold in this strange realm, so that only made sense. He or she was also wearing heavy trousers that looked too big for them, and heavy clomping about boots. That's why I was able to hear them so well. Now that I was closer, I could hear the person breathing, like everything else. It was asexual, but consistent. Like they were tired after a long walk or run, or they were sick in some way, or they were just bloody old. Wheezing was just a way of life for them now. All probable possibilities. And as I felt myself gag over that horrible piece of alliteration, I saw the figure stop, quite suddenly, like they too had heard something, or someone. I held my breath. I hadn't made a sound, had I? The cold enveloping me and turning me into a statue. I felt my heart stop along with the rest of my body. An impossibility, I know, but then this whole place was an impossibility. The figure's breath had changed. They definitely noticed something. Something that made them come to a dead stop. I heard a flame clearing of the throat. Then the person started to turn around towards where I was. There was the creaking of sinews and cartilage, the cracking of old bones. I don't know how I heard this, but I did so clearly in the dead silence. The head of the person was hooded. Arms reached up, and from the holes of the sleeves appeared white, gnarled, ancient hands. The fingers arthritic and claw-shaped. The old hands reached up and grasped the edges of the hood. I was about to be shown who or what was beneath the hood. But I wasn't going to give it a chance. My bravery had evaporated like a frail drop of water on a hot day. I couldn't stand it anymore. I turned and ran as fast as I could. I had no bloody clue where I was going. The chances of that thing following me and actually catching up with me seemed impossible. It acted really old, seemed bloody ancient. I was probably safe. But I've never been one to depend on the promise of probabilities. Especially when the chances of the fucking impossible happening exist. I also never wanted to find out what was beneath that hood. To say it was the stuff of nightmares was... quintessentially accurate. I didn't know where I was now, what part of Ostium. But it wasn't any different from before, so I wasn't that bothered. I gave myself a good five minutes to fully catch my breath, then a little longer to try and calm down. And then I heard those bloody footsteps again, getting louder and closer. How in the fuck 
but I wasn't going to miss my cue when it was this bloody blatant. I needed to get away from this nightmare place, this alternate bizarro ostium, and there was really only one way I could do that. I started running again, wondering which door I should try, and then like a heavenly sign, a shining star to guide the three kings, I saw the door with the number two on it, all glowy and inviting. It was a sign if ever there was one. You know the saying, yeah, the one I'm making up on the spot right at this moment. Go back to the beginning because that's where you'll find a way out. You know it makes sense. I grasped the handle, hearing the footsteps again now. This time it had only been seconds and the thing had almost caught up with me. I wasn't going to waste any more time. Praying, I turned the handle and the door opened a little. I threw it open to a blinding white light and part of me really wanted to see, one, how close this creepy person was to me, and two, if this light was having any effect on them. It felt so good and pure and strong, and so the opposite of this place. But I couldn't afford to take that chance and waste any more time. Letting go of the handle, I dove through the incandescent doorway, throwing the door closed behind me as I fell and landed... on solid ground. It wasn't too hard. A bit soft, actually. Kind of springy, I'd say, if I had to describe it. I opened my eyes, and the first thing I saw was greenery. It was the ground, and it was green. I shot up like a rocket, and saw I was in a forest full of life and colour and vitality. Definitely not the devoid of life place I was just in. I looked back at the door, and actually shouted in surprise when I saw there was no door. It was bloody gone. Oh shit, what did that mean? The way back was gone. Yes, the way back to that place I never wanted to go again. I suppose that wasn't so bad then. Also, as a bonus, the fucking terrifying thing wouldn't be following me here. Definitely advantage Dave with that one. Actually, let's just call it game set and match. I started walking towards a wooden wall that looked very familiar. There was the tree with those three letters. Yep. Indeed, I'd come back to the beginning. I was back in Roanoke. Again. And the usual door for getting out of this place didn't exist anymore. This was going to be interesting then. But it wasn't the first conundrum I'd gotten myself into, and probably wouldn't be the last either. I walked through the opening in the wall and surveyed the inside of the hamlet. Everything was just as I'd left it, and presumably as Jake and Monica had left it too, during their own individual journeys here. The fire pit looked like it was still being used. There was wood in it, burning nicely, a smoke plume curling away into the sky. That meant someone was here. But who? And for the first time in a long while I remembered I still had the gun and knew how to use it. I hesitantly took it out of my pocket, worried that the entity was going to be taking over me again, coming out of bloody nowhere. I waited. It didn't happen. I waited a little longer. Still nothing happened. Finally, I emptied my lungs. I could only deal with one heart attack inducing stressful problem at a time. I had to find out who or what was here lighting a fire, apparently. I went to the first building. The door was ajar. Actually, more open than that. Just open enough for me to slip through without making a sound. I took a deep breath, 
pretended my tummy took up less room and slipped into the house. Inside it was quite dark. There was a table and chairs. On the table was a lit lamp. There was oil on the bottom of it, keeping the flame going. It gave just enough light to reveal the man on the other side of the room. He was turned away from me, looking at something on the wall, staring at it as if it was something very important to him. He was taller than me, black hair. He could probably put up a decent fight, which was why the first thing I did was point the gun at him. In a shaky voice, I asked a simple question. Who the fuck are you then? Break on through. And what rough beast? Energy cannot be created or destroyed. To the man behind the curtain, there are more than the known three dimensions. M theory says there are eleven. Is there a multiverse? It's our come at last. No, no, you're just not thinking fourth dimensionally. Across billions of light years, for every action, it can only be transferred or changed. Bosonic theory says twenty-six. Pay no attention. Breathe in the air. There are at least ten dimensions to the universe. Do you really want to live forever? Two massive black holes colliding together. Time is the fourth. It's a whole timey wimey thing. Is there a multiverse to the multiverse? The center does not hold. I know I've been mad. 
Speak to me. You can't do that. It would disrupt the space-time continuum. There's no way of knowing. Sending a wave across the entire universe. Who wants to live forever? There is an equal and opposite reaction. It's called a graviton wave. I've been mad for fucking years. Another one bites the dust. Which direction are we going? I've always been mad. To the other side. I fell through fire and water, through pain and agony, through darkness and blindness. Until there was no more falling that could be had. Not for my sanity, anyway. And then I fell more. Spinning like the greatest gymnast of all time. Except I knew not when or where I would land. Or if. It felt like I dipped in and out of reality. I was and was not. I was atomized broken and separated into billions of pieces, then reassembled whole once more. The transporter of the mind and the soul, I was on the run, not wanting to be found, looking for myself and losing myself in the nothingness of it all. There was everything, and there was nothing at the same time. Paradox. An impossibility and a possibility canceling each other out. I was both dead and alive, living and not, an entity and a non-entity, the real and the unreal, a ghost of my former self, the birthing of my future being, to be or not to be. It was a question I didn't have to ask myself, for I was both, somehow, impossibly, somehow. Did I want to go back? stay a part of it, be with the others, to continue on as I had before, or was it time to end, to complete the cycle, the circle of life and move on, to shuffle off this mortal coil. There wouldn't be time to be visited by three ghosts. The decision had to be decided now, the choice made, the confirmation confirmed, the certainty certified tangent would be begun, a parallel world, a parallel universe made anew, from nothing, from one wrong or right judgment everything would flow on its own individual unique path, never to cross with another, never to join up with another, never, never to return to its inception, its genesis, its point of origin, its 
point of identity. It's Big Bang. Now it's on its own merry way. Its own timeline. Its own time. 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 Traveling through time. Across space and time. But to begin traveling, you must take a single step. A first move. A passing. Through whatever obstruction may be hindering you. Such as a door. A door. With numbers on it. Ostium. A moment. An iota. An increment. Time. Is time a straight line? A curve? A circle? Does it fold back on itself? Does it revolve around itself? Or is it just a human-made construct? A way for us to control our lives. To control what's going on in our lives. A way to manage what happened yesterday, what's happening today, and what's going to happen tomorrow. If there are no clocks around, does a tree in the woods care what time it falls? Is that deep enough for you? I can remember for my fourth birthday, my dad got me a watch. A Mickey Mouse watch, in fact. My mom, as I found out later when I was older, didn't think I was ready for such an important and expensive item, since I was still basically a toddler. My dad's defense was the only way I was really going to learn how to tell time, was if I had a watch. He'd had one as a kid, so he was going to make sure his kid had one too. Though, I don't think he was four when he got it. I'm not going to lie and say it changed my life right away. It took a year or two. I don't know. That time is pretty hazy for me, even with my photographic memory. Maybe it hadn't fully developed yet, you know? If you catch my drift. But I can remember my life changing over that time because of time. Sorry, I'll stop that, but it's really hard not to. I could probably point out 12 or 6 o'clock when I was four. But over the next couple years, I learned to tell time, which is great. But the big deal was when I realized that this little thing on my wrist that had a cute picture of Mickey with moving arms could tell me exactly what time of the day it was. It made me comprehend the power it had. For something so small and seemingly insignificant, a toy essentially, to be able to predict the future in some ways. I know. I know. These aren't the thoughts going through five and six-year-old me, but... It's something over time, there I go again, that uh, I've learned to appreciate and understand. This little timepiece eventually had such a significant effect on me. I landed, as dense and heavy as a black hole, as light as the space dust surrounding its event horizon. I slammed into the ground like a pile driver but I also settled upon the surface like a seesawing feather gently reaching its final destination. So it both hurt incredibly and not at the same time. Somehow. I don't know. I was in a place where the rules of physics had been thrown out of a metaphysical window along with all the other rules of science. It was fucking nowhere. I pulled myself to a sitting-up position. Every inch of me ached in a different way making me also aware of my many different parts and how they all had nerve endings. My eyes were open, but I wasn't seeing anything. 
So either I was in a very dark space, you know, like, say, the center of a black hole, which has got to be a blackness unlike anything else in the entire universe, right? Oh, and before you sciencey guys chime in with your theories and supposed facts, until you haven't actually been in a fucking black hole yourself, you don't have a single event horizon to stand on. Yeah, it was either really fucking dark in here, somehow I'd gone blind, which would be <laughs> just fucking dandy. And then, thank God, light started filtering into the space I was in. A cold blue light that seemed to be more sharing the space with the blackness than taking over it and making it not exist anymore. There was definitely some sort of photonic battle going on here. It appeared to be a literal battle between light and darkness. Somehow. I'd never heard of anything like this before, and hey, when it comes to me and ostium-related events, that's saying something. But it started me thinking, which was good. It meant, along with my eyes, my brain was also still working. Granted, since I was alive, there were obviously many hundreds of bodily processes working together to keep my heart pumping and my blood oxygenated and circulating. I was thinking about the blackness vying for possession in this space, this room, as it was now becoming apparent. I could see darker walls containing the combination blackness and underworld filter shade of blue. But I let it take me, consume me, fully expecting and completely confident that I was about to be annihilated. Yes, as in the sense of being broken down to my individual atoms and made not Jake Fisher anymore. It was a big deal. A really big fucking deal, actually. I'd willingly given myself up for debt, sacrificed my life for others. At least one very important other. I hadn't had a hell of a lot of time to think about it, to consider the ramifications to weigh the options with a list of pros and cons in the Jake way I usually like to do. And then, and only then, after a bunch of time had passed, was I ready to make my decision. There wasn't enough time in this case, barely any in fact, so it had been a quick, almost instant choice, barely a consideration, and there had been no hesitation, none whatsoever. I'm not about to climb on my high horse and say, look how fucking righteous I am, even though I literally just did that, but I'm just more surprised at myself, I guess. Death, like it is for many, many people the world over, I'm sure, is not something I like to contemplate too often. As an atheist, I'm on the worm food side of the divine struggle of whether there's any life after death. So becoming said worm food is something I just really never want to think about, except when I really need to, in like a five-second period when it really doesn't involve much hesitation at all. So where the hell am I now, then? The blackness didn't kill me, or something stopped the blackness from killing me. Somehow, I know. There's no real evidence for that second possibility, so we're going to stick with the first one, for now. And at the moment, I'm in a room. But it's not just any room, is it? Oh no. It's that room. There's enough blue light now, I can see the walls better, and on one of them is a door. A door with an infinity symbol on it. Yes, that door. The one that took us to the bottom of the crack that severed Ostium from the world. I said before I never wanted to go back to that place that pretended to be my former work. I meant it. I looked up and saw another door. On the ceiling. More of a trap door, I guess you'd say. 
There was no writing or symbols on it, no numbers either. Would it even open for me? I didn't know. But that infinity door wasn't a fucking option, and I had high hopes this door would somehow take me back to the bedroom in the clock tower. I know. What if I ran into Monica and the other me on the other side? I had no idea what time or instance of ostium it was in that other side. Also, at this point in time, it was the only option I had. This particular trap door, as we're calling it, had a normal door handle on it. You know, not the round ones, the angled L ones, like any trap door. But this particular door handle gave me a fighting chance. Barely. I had to time it just right, or risk falling on my ass and maybe breaking my tailbone or something worse. The room was just big enough to get enough of a running jump. I tested my back against the wall, studying the handle, making it my friend as we would soon be joining hands, so to speak, and hopefully in a loving embrace, somehow. Then I was ready and started running and totally missed the thing. It wasn't that I didn't jump high enough or my aim was off. I just totally fucked it up. Okay, take two. Here goes. Better. But that time, I just gave the handle a more creepy grope. Third time's the charm? Why not? I sucked in a breath, bent my knees, and then launched myself into motion. I jumped where I wanted to and grabbed that handle like a professional trapeze acrobat, catching the swing thing. You know, the ones Donald Duck and various other characters always miss in cartoons and plunge to their fake deaths. The handle turned easily in my hand with my forward motion, and then I let it go, hearing it opening behind me. I landed, bending my knees so my butt almost touched the ground, and then I was standing once again. I turned and stared at the open doorway above me. Through it I could see only darkness. Only that was to be expected, no? Wasn't that the calling of every ostium door? That oh-so-inviting darkness that just makes you want to drop everything you're doing to dive into this hopeful doom and gloom? But I had made my choice, and I was going to stick to it. It required another acrobatic running jump. Fortunately, I was getting pretty good at these, especially within the confines of this specific room. Then I was airborne, and my hands found the edge and held on for dear life. I didn't waste time pulling myself up and through the doorway before I could have any doubts or my strengths could fail me. Once on the outside, I drew my legs up and then reached down and closed the door for good measure. There, how could you be more final than that? The door was closed and that room was sealed off. For good. Hopefully forever. As soon as I was through the doorway, I knew right away I wasn't back in ostium, but it was secondary to closing that trap door. I gingerly stood up and looked around. The blackness was all around me, like space without the stars and stardust. I could hear it. Hell, I could feel the sound vibrating off my arm hairs. But it didn't attack. It stayed. Waited, or perhaps was held at bay? I guessed I was looking at the blackness that was the same as that which was currently surrounding my untethered ostium. Is that what had happened to me? Where I'd been sent? Is that what the blackness did to you? Sent you here and left you falling? I remember falling. For a long time. Felt like eons. But then this room. It saved me. Maybe I shouldn't have closed that trapdoor after all. Perhaps I should have ignored my gut feeling just gone through that infinity door. I creeped over to the edge of the flat roof of the building, 
I was standing on and peeked over the side, wanting to see the other side of that infinity door, which would prove opening it would have led me out into the darkness and let me fall, perhaps forever. I looked down and fucking saw the other side of the door, even had the infinity symbol on it. Holy shit, I'd chosen right. The room had made me choose, and if I had gone through the door, seen that blackness, and stepped through, that would have been the end of everything. Again. That was when the light show began. Above me. Far, far above. It was a fucking veritable great gig in the sky. It was more of the blue light. Still just as dark and cold now, but... And stronger. More there and apparent, I guess you could say. It was like a space mist, or... Fogmas if you will. Silence your hateful insults this instant. Okay, getting back to the galactic light show. Yes, Pink Floyd fans would most definitely be jealous. The blueness was now clearly battling with the blackness, sending jagged lightning-shaped bolts through its adversary, while the blackness tried to envelop, encircle, encapsulate, and various other words beginning with the syllable N. Which prompted the question from yours truly, What the fuck? I thought I was far enough away. I thought I'd be safe. I was wrong. It was a classic rookie in sci-fi space move. I felt there was enough distance and could enjoy the crazy light show happening before me. The battle for blue light and darkness became more violent, more animated even if it was completely silent. As things speeded up, they got big, expanding like what I imagined a star going supernova does, taking more and more space. Just like when our sun runs out of fuel one day, billions of years from now, and is going to expand way out to consume Mercury, Venus, and I'm not sure if Earth will be eaten up like a little ball consumed by Pac-Man, or if our surface will simply be burned to a black and crisp. It just didn't click for me at first. In my defense, it's been a really long fucking day, or week, or eon, whatever it's been, it's been really long, and I'm, in the word of a certain British acquaintance of mine who may be as big a fan of Ostium as I am, knackered. Eventually, it sunk in what was going on and that I was in mortal danger. Sure, I'd somehow survived a run-in with the blackness once already, but I wasn't about to test my luck. Now oh, these two deified behemoths of gas and light and color battling it out. This felt like Greek god-level stuff, and I was a mere mortal. But where the fuck could I go? What options did I have? I could jump off the side, try my luck, and probably fall forever until I died of hunger, thirst, or old age. Though I'd probably die of sheer terror first. Or there was the door. You know, the one I closed earlier five minutes ago tops the one I'd intentionally closed because I wanted to be done with that room and the infinity door and now may well have condemned myself to death via being caught in the crossfire of the god of blue fire and the god of black doom like always there was only one way to find out I grasped the handle of the outside and turned the door opened and fell inward I'd been hoping for this and let it pull me down into the room, preparing myself for a hard landing and rolling to lessen the blow. It worked. Thanks for the tip on that, Monica. Then I leaped up, slammed the trapdoor closed, and found myself back to square one, 
Or is that square two? Wouldn't square one be back on that space station when I'd first let the blackness take me? Or technically, isn't square one me playing the game of GeoGuessr that completely changed my life? At least it did when I decided to seek out the hidden town called Ostium. Do I regret this now? The choices and decisions I've made that have led me in various directions, taken me to places I've never seen, and have guided me to this very point and place right here, right now? Before I can arrive at a response to this, the battle of light and dark going on outside the room hits the small rectangular space and suddenly I'm spinning. Well, actually no, the room is spinning, going multiple revolutions a second it feels like. Me? I'm being thrown about like the proverbial bean in the tin can. That's a proverb, right? Or a saying? A cliché expression? Look, don't give me that do-goody-good bullshit. I was doing everything I could not to just puke and puke and puke until organs started coming out. This brought my senses to a whole new meaning of motion sickness. I wasn't physically able to do much other than try to avoid breaking numerous bones, which left my mind to try to come up with something. Don't fail me now, brain. But it did, I thought. It came up with another useless saying. In for a penny, in for a pound. What the fuck? Money? The hell has that got to do with it? I was at my wit's end at this point, pushed to every limit I felt I could endure. Then I was suddenly flung to the door. No, not the trap door, the other door, the one with the infinity symbol on it. Now the saying made a little bit more sense. Get it? Sense? As in money? I, I know, I know. Not the fucking time, Jake. The trap door had been my last and only option, and now the infinity door was the thing. Except it led into the blackness of nothingness, right? And how did I not know I wasn't going to wind up in the middle of the blue and the black gang war? Because, because it had that infinity symbol on it, which meant a place and a time, right? The bottom of the crack, leading to my former place of work? I don't know. As I said, my brain was scrambled eggs at this point, and this seemed a reasonable enough assumption to me. So did dashing my brains out against the side of the room and ending this all now. Fortunately, I chose the former, turning the handle and hurtling myself through the door and into the blackness that awaited me on the other side. It worked, not completely as I'd expected, but I was alive. Sort of. If every fiber of my being ached before, now it was moaning in agony. But again, somehow, miraculously, nothing had snapped or broken. Eh. Now where was I? It took a while to gain my bearings. Waiting for my head to stop spinning, the motion sickness to calm itself until I knew I wasn't going to upchuck. After these two levels of supposed calm had been obtained, I slowly opened my eyes. Fuck. I was back in my office space. Not outside in the crack as I might have hoped. Not in the stairwell leading to my former place of work where Monica and I first shared a kiss. But sitting on the dull beige carpet of the work floor, 
not even by a door either. It appeared I'd materialized out of nothingness, which is, when you get down to it, my favorite mode of travel in Ostian, if I have a choice. Especially when the alternate is being stuck in the blackness of space. I got up, feeling things sway a little, and then stabilize. Yep, it was the same place, same feel. I waited a full two minutes just to see if there was anyone else here. Or listened, rather. Part of me was definitely wondering if I was crossing over into the timeline with past me and Monica coming here for the first time. Why not? This shit had happened before. Except now it was a case of black and blue, right? Moving up and down, and I was doing my darndest to go side to side and get the hell out of the way. Though honestly, I felt like in the end I was just going round and round. But what did that have to do with the price of eggs? <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't really know what just happened. Let's just call it a momentary lapse of reason. Deep breath. Crack your neck once in each direction. Loosen them shoulders. Great. Now everything's back to normal. Sort of. The best it can be. I seem to be alone. I could have walked in the direction opposite to my area of the floor, but I knew that was just going to be a waste of my time. I would just find lots of empty desks and not much else. So I headed toward my cubicle, wishing over and over for one thing in my heart, my deepest desire for this place. And it was granted. The desks were there with the computers and the monitors still showing their horrible headlines. But the clones were very noticeably absent. I felt myself immediately relax. Dealing with those fucking things again would have been just too much. I was a frayed wire and ready to just set the whole fucking world on fire. Moving on to happier, less destructive thoughts, I headed over to the window, the one where I had seen a flicker of movement, something in another building. And then I was staring at myself, across the divide, but not just one of me, tens of me, hundreds of me, possibly thousands of facsimiles looking right back at moi. They weren't just standing there, staring like automatons or those clones. They appeared sentient. I moved my arms, offering a playful wave, but not really meaning it at all. I was looking for a reaction. It was a test to see if they would copy me exactly, as if I were staring at a thousand mirrors. No, they didn't copy me. And then they did, only out of time, off-key, one by one, waving back. But their facial expressions were different. Some smiling, some laughing, some indifferent, some confused. A few even angry for some reason. I wasn't staring into a kaleidoscope of reflections. These were all individual me's existing somehow. Perhaps on some other plane. Some other existence. Another separate existence to my own. They were all alternate me's. Still... When you wave at someone you recognize in any sort of way, the other person pretty much always waves back at you, whether they recognize you or not. It's a polite thing to do, no? Us and them. Me's and me's. And then they all started doing something that scared the shit out of me. I started yelling and screaming at them not to. One by one, they lowered their waving hands and stepped out of the open windows and dropped out of the building. I leaned to watch them plunge to their deaths, my deaths, but I 
couldn't see the ground below. It was more of the blackness swallowing everything up. But no, no, it was something new. A combination black and blue, a mixture, a deadly cocktail perhaps. I had no way of knowing, but the other me's apparently knew otherwise, or at least thought they did. They continued to step out and drop like stones, little concern showing on their faces. It wasn't too long before I was the only Jake left. I stared at all the empty windows facing me, where all those me's had been looking right back just moments ago. And yet again I found myself at an impasse. What choice did I have? With shaking legs, trembling arms, I sucked in a breath, stepped up onto the window ledge, closed my eyes, and dropped off the ledge. I was falling again, only it felt different this time, like there was hope somehow. I don't know, but it sure was fucking colorful, any color you like. It was like passing in and out of and surfing along a rainbow. My eyes were dazzled, my retinas singed with a spectrum of afterimages. I tried blinking, once, then lots of times, but it didn't really help. Then I started to see these black blobs, strange dark shapes in the colors. Some came closer and I realized it was all the falling me's. We were all plunging together to fuck knows where. Perhaps all of our inevitable deaths. And then one by one they started winking out of existence. Each of them reached their point of destination and ceased to be. At least ceased to be here where I could see them. And then it was my turn. I was there a moment and gone the next. Taken to what I could only guess was my inner mind. I was within the chamber of my very own thoughts. There were scenes going on all around me. Memories from my past, which I recognized instantly because of what they were. I saw shades and forms of my former self, going this way and that. Like that time when I was with Monica in Colombia and I could see past instances of myself existing there. Only there were so many more here. All passing through each other like there were only completely different planes of existence. I started to feel that Pink Floyd song, the one that begins with... The lunatic is on the grass. But I felt I was that lunatic now. Seeing all this laid out before me it was beyond overwhelming. I felt myself steadily going mad, literally within my own mind. I closed my eyes, shut them tight, then dug my palms into my sockets, trying to block all of that out. To stop any light and therefore thought from entering. I think I screamed. I know I yelled. It was just too much. Too fucking much. Too fucking... Too... It was gone. All that I had touched, all that I had tasted, everything I'd seen, all that I loved and hated, all that I tried to save, all that I destroyed, all that I distrusted, all that I said, it was all gone now. And it was just me, utterly, 
irrevocably, so completely alone. It was like I was existing in a vacuum. There was no sense of anything around me. I felt I must be back in the blackness of space with absolute nothingness around me. How was I still alive? It begged the question, was I still alive? Was this the end? Was this a hell that I was doomed to that I always declaimed wasn't real? Was this the be-all and end-all? I wanted it to be over. I wanted it to be done, once and for all. No take-backsies. I could feel myself standing. And now I would have to open my eyes, confirm where I was, and see where I was to be taken next on this mental roller coaster of the horror of horrors for one Jake Fisher. I let out a long breath I hadn't known I'd been holding. It tasted stale and bitter, too warm and stuffy, a breath from another world and likely another time, an impossibility. I drew in a fresh breath. It was crisp and cool, refreshing and awakening. I opened my eyes and took in my surroundings. I was in a wooden house. Before me was a wooden wall with a hanging piece of burnished metal. It was meant to be a mirror, a good one, as I could clearly see my reflection in it. I couldn't help flinching, what with my recent experiences. Plus, I looked like absolute shit. Then I saw the man standing before me looking right at me. He was pointing something at me. Who the fuck are you then? He said in a distinctly British accent. I took in a deep breath, then turned around to face him and my fate. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. I said, who the fuck are you then? Oi, I'm fucking talking to you, mate. Hello, Dave. How are you doing, Dave? Is... is that you? 
Oh my god, Jake, is it really you? Yep, in the flesh. Holy bloody fucking shit. I can't believe it's really... How the fuck have you been? Uh, well, I guess I'd say I've been better. A lot better. No fucking kidding. How the bloody hell did you end up here? In bloody Roanoke of all places. Uh, I don't really know. Honestly, a lot of crazy shit has been happening in the last 24 hours. Or years. What? It's a long story. I know what you mean, mate. My last day and a bit have been very much not kosher. I I don't really know what the fuck's been happening to me exactly, but it's been bloody awful. And it's also a long story. Did, um, did the blackness get you, too? Oh, oh god, yes. And then, then some very fucking strange things started happening to me. It was like, it was like having a really messed up dream on ecstasy. At least, that's what I imagine it would be like, if I ever did something like that. Right, I hear you. But there was plenty of weird shit before the whole showdown between you and Monica, and the blackness getting us. You were there? Bloody right I was. Standing behind all of you watching the show. It was very fucking mental seeing you standing there, and another you on Monica's shoulder. But as I already mentioned, it felt like my mind wasn't doing what it was supposed to do at that point. So I wasn't sure what I was actually seeing, or what I thought I was seeing with my very own eyes. Did... did you want to talk about it? You know, I've never really considered myself the chatty type. But in this case, I'd love to have a right old chinwag about it all. Did... did you say a chinwag? Yes. <laughs> okay, then. Look, if you need me to translate anything into American for you, don't be afraid to ask, alright? <laughs> Okay, uh, it sounds good, Dave. And uh, if you have any problems understanding my Yankee slang, be sure to let me know, okay? Deal. So, how about a cuppa, then? A uh, cuppa... Oh, wait, I know that one. A cup of tea? Correct, my son. 100 pounds to Mr. Jake Fisher, please. Do they uh, have tea here in Roanoke, in this house? I... I haven't a bloody clue. But there's only one way to find out. Hmm, I suppose it tastes like tea. Are you sure it's tea? I'm not perfectly sure what it is, actually. It tastes a little bit like tea. A little bit like dirt some ungodly mixture of herbs and spices. Not bad, though. These uh, clay mugs are interesting, too. Not up to your 16th century Starbucks quality? <laughs> no, this is uh, some fine craftsmanship. I'm going to see if I could bring this grey, badly crafted drinking vessel back with me to Ostium. If we ever make it back. <laughs> right. So... There's our cue to start talking about what the hell happened to us in the last 24 hours before we start getting too down in the dumps. Wait a second, mate. I need to ask you something first. Did you light this lamp here on the table in front of us? Um, no, I didn't. And I don't suppose you lit the fire outside either, then? Hmm, that's another negative. 
All right, then. We're just going to move right along and forget about those two scary details. Would you like to begin with your harrowing tale, or should I go first? Uh, why don't you do the honors? Beauty before age, then. What? Nothing. So, you received that last email I sent you, right? Uh, yeah, the one where you said that you were in a different ostium? Right, exactly. And I did get a chance to hear your recording with the email you said you sent me. By the way, I never actually received that email. Just got to hear it through your ostium recording. I suppose that means my ostium was already as rotten as last night's fish and chips you decided to pull out of the bin. <laughs> okay, sure. Anyway, I was already planning on carrying out the very advice you were so generous to impart to me and your listeners. Well, at least to some extent. I decided I was going to take a gander behind the door with the big number two on it. But wait, that would lead you to here, Roanoke. Is that how you got here? Yes, Jake. My harrowing tale of suffering and angst is me deciding to go through door number two and arriving here just a few minutes ago and telling you to stick him up. What a story, eh? Sorry, Dave. Um, please continue with your story. Cheers. But wait, wait. Hold on a bloody second, mate. What about the blackness? What about the blackness? You know, that impending darkness that likes to swallow us up and do terrible things to us? Aren't we at risk of its inevitable arrival at any moment? Huh? Oh, no, no. I've got it under control. What exactly does that mean? Well, I've been able to hold the blackness back for some time now. Yes, I know. You said so in the recordings. But that was only for a certain amount of time. Eventually, it arrived without fail. Every single time. Well, something's changed since I've come through all this. Or what? Being consumed by the darkness. Having it take over me and what it's done to me and coming out the other side alive. I can control it better now. Really? Yeah, I just feel way stronger now. When I recognized where I was, I just immediately engaged it. Engaged it? Like Captain Picard? <laughs> uh, exactly. And I can feel it's, like, almost gone now. Just the barest blip on the horizon. Far, far away. And it's not coming any closer anytime soon. So you don't need to worry about it at all. Wow. Just wow. That's fucking incredible. I can't wait to hear what your trip down the rabbit hole was like. <laughs> yeah, it was a trip, all right. But let's continue with your story. Right. So, I've got me some food together. I even tried one of your oh-so-wonderful peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Sorry, mate. It was bloody awful. I couldn't stand it. So I just made myself some jam sandwiches instead. <laughs> For the record, that statement is anathema. And... If I was a cardinal or a bishop or a fucking pope, you'd be excommunicated. Right, understood. Well, skipping along then. With some nosh, I made my merry way through door number two and found myself in the desert. Well, it wasn't actually the desert, just bloody hot. Far away, I could see this rock wall with human-made formations. They looked like rows on the outside of the formation with these tree trunks that looked like ladders. Yes, yes, you were in the, the land of the Ancient Ones, or the Anasazi. 
Okay, yeah. I think I remember hearing about that in one of your recordings. Yeah, you certainly did. Sure. And then I saw two people very high up on the top level, I think. Or maybe one below. I thought they were you two. Yes, it, it was us. We were heading into a cave to try to find a way out. I saw that. You two disappeared. I thought about climbing up there and trying to find out if it was you two, but I didn't really want to take the risk. It was precarious, and I'll be honest, I was scared shitless at the thought of it. So I decided I wasn't going to go that way, and that's when, completely out of the blue it seemed, there was this door near me. I swear it hadn't been there before, but then it was just there. Appearing like magic? Yeah, I, I don't know, it was bloody weird. But it was a way out, and I hoped it would take me back to Ostium. Hopefully your Ostium. Because that was your plan, to find us? Exactly. Of course. What else could I bloody do? Indeed. So I stepped through, and I was back in Ostium. In your Ostium, as I found out. After looking through all your very personal belongings, you know, like your underpants. Nah, only kidding, mate. Might have been a little childish there. You could have at least laughed. Nothing? Okay, then. Suit yourself. Anyway, I was able to recognize it was your Ostium with all your stuff. When you do your recordings, Jake, you're very thorough with the details. No stone left unturned. Know what I mean? I sure do. I like to think it's one of the parameters that leads to so many consistent downloads per episode. Well, look who's getting a bit cocky. Guess it's time to burst your big ego bubble, then. That X-Files reference you made in that mini-episode on your little joyride back to Ostium. You talked about Scully and that boat and all that stuff about the fraying rope. Oh yeah, I remember that. It's what happened in the episode. I was having a moment. What's wrong with that? Nothing, mate. Except the part where you said it was from the episode Memento Mori during the fourth series. Series? Okay, fine. Season four. Well, it wasn't bloody Memento Mori. It wasn't? No, mate. The scene you're referring to, which you did accurately describe, is from season two in the episode One Breath. Oh, oh shit. Yeah, so you might want to hold back on leading your ego parade down Buckingham Palace Road. Can, uh, can we get back to your story now? In a minute. Okay, now we can. Where was I? Oh yeah, I knew it was your pad, your ostium, because you had all your stuff there, like you described in earlier recordings. So I had something to eat, I think, and then had to have a wee. Right after that, when I started feeling strange, I was washing my hands as any gentleman does after using the facilities, and started to feel wonky. Wonky? Yeah, wonky. It's a word. Go bloody check the dictionary. Something was wrong. I wasn't feeling right. Started having a bit of a headache. I was feeling dizzy. Things were starting to get blurry. Everything was sort of shaking. This was the first time I had this feeling of not really being in control of my body. It was like a dream, sort of. Describe it to me. Well, it was like I was in my body and not in it at the same time. No, that's not right. I was definitely in my body, but not fully in control. Almost like... like wearing a spacesuit. Only someone else is controlling what you're doing in the spacesuit. Okay, got it. You know, that's quite poetic, actually. Oh, fuck off. I don't know who or what was making me do this, but... The important lesson to understand from this is that... I couldn't really help it. It was beyond my control. 
and that's when I opened the hidden panel in the wall behind the sink. What? Yeah, bloody shocking, I know. Apparently there's a hidden panel low down to the floor behind the sink. One of the wall tiles. Though you'd have to do it exactly right, you know. Can't draw any shape on it. Any shape? Right. <laughs> I got it wrong the first time. Bloody thing zapped a million volts and shot me across the room like a cork from a champagne bottle. A million volts? Well, probably not that many. Since I'd have been six feet under if that were the case. But it was a right old wallop. Bloody hurt, too. And then that new voice in my head. You know, the one I didn't give any permission whatsoever to come in and control me. Suppose that definitely means it's not a vampire, then. It told me to draw an O, which I did, and out popped the wall tile, like it was a perfectly natural thing. Behind it was a space with a gun in it. A gun? What kind of gun? A gun like I'd never seen before. A gun that looked like this. It looks futuristic. Like something out of Star Trek? Fuck no. Those were phasers, not gun-shaped at all. Good. I was just checking. So more Star Wars then? <sighs> yeah, okay, I'll allow it. Why, thank you kindly, sir. And that was when I heard the bloke at the door. It was one of them soldiers. Came out of nowhere knocking on the door. Did you answer it? No, I bloody didn't answer it. I was fucking terrified. But I remember what had happened the first time them soldiers had showed up and you two just waited for them to leave. So I did the same thing. I waited for him to go away and then I stupidly followed him. Why? You know, I've asked myself that question a lot of times. If I hadn't, things would have probably happened very differently to what they did. I think it was because I wanted to know where he came from or where he was going. I was worried about you two suddenly showing up and how dangerous he might be. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate that. Don't thank me too soon. Once he was far enough away, I left the clock tower, tiptoeing quietly behind him. He didn't really seem to know where he was going. That was when I started feeling really shitty. I suddenly had a bloody terrible headache. I felt really dizzy. I couldn't see that well. And then I think I fell on the ground. I'm not sure. And from then on, things are really spotty. I can barely remember anything. Just little bits here and there. But I know I didn't give the bloke much of a chance to defend himself. I can't remember if I talked to him or even said anything to him. I know I shot him with the gun. And it killed him. I know I threw him over my shoulder and I went through the door. And put him in a seat at the front row of a cinema. The casino building. Avalon. Catalina. The body we found. Yeah. He wasn't the only one. Private Tanaka? On the spaceship? Yeah, it sounds right. As much as I hate to admit it. Talk about a fucking dark period in your life. I thought I had enough horrible shit in my life to last... Well, to last a lifetime, but... Apparently I wasn't done. Not even close. I had some people I needed to kill first. I'm sorry, Dave. I know it's not really any consolation, but these people, these soldiers Monica sent through the door, were kind of doomed anyway. No, it doesn't really help. There was that guy in the snowy place. Bloody freezing it was there. Anjakuni. What? 
Anjakuni, that's what it's called, where you were. We were there too. We found that body, too. Bloody great. I think there was also a bloke on a, what's it called, um, Easter Island. Really? Yeah, pretty sure it was there. I remember the big stone statues before I found him. I never saw a body there. Not that that means anything. What about the beach house? What beach house? It was a beach house in Fort Bragg I stayed at, from my past. I did a recording about it. Sorry, I'm not ringing any bells. Must have been after I lost full internet access. Before it became wonky? Now you're getting it. So what happened at this beach house? Well, we found bodies inside. Lots of them. They'd been horrifically slaughtered. Decapitated, disemboweled, torn to pieces. It was... It was fucking terrible. Some... Something I'd just never want to see again. Like something out of a Saw movie. Only very fucking real. No... No, I never went to any sort of beach house, and I never saw anything like that, let alone... It's only ever been the gun. One clean shot and it's all over, and that's it. Okay, Dave, I believe you, man. And that's some very important information you've given me. Thank you. You're welcome, I think. And that's about it for me. Last thing I remember, I was on that space station or spaceship, whatever the fuck it was, looking around. And that's when I found you and Monica. And that's when the blackness took us. Do you remember what happened after that? Yes, better actually, than the earlier stuff. I remember everything feeling dark and bleak and cold. And it was all pushing down on me, crushing me to a pulp, to a little speck of nothingness. And then it just let go, just went away. I was in a dark place with strange lights. It made me think of the Lord of the Rings films, when Frodo puts the ring on and sees the weird smoky world with the soft lights and the bloody terrifying Nazgul. Ashnag Vrakatulch, Ag Brusum Ishi Krimpatur. One ring to bring them all, and into the darkness bind them. Okay, that's fucking scary, that is. I've met some serious bloody nerds in my life, but you... you outright scare me. Please don't say that again. Sorry, I was just trying to lighten the mood. Didn't help. So I was in this scary place, and it took me a bit to realize it was Ostium. Only different, very fucking different. Through this weird filter. But I sort of accepted it dealt with it the best I could, and started walking around. In a little bit, I heard a sound. Someone else walking. Or maybe something. I followed it. I tried to find it. And eventually I did. It was a hunched-over figure, slowly walking away. I think it was female, from the shape of the body, but I can't be sure. It looked a bit like the witch in Snow White. The crone. From behind. Her or it, eventually heard me and stopped, and slowly turned around. It seemed to be looking at me. Then it started to pull back its hood to reveal its face. I couldn't take it anymore. I didn't want to see. 
I legged it, fucking ran as fast as I could until I found the door that let me out. It took me to here, Roanoke, and that's when I found you. That's interesting. Very interesting. That's it? That's all you have to say? Yes, it... it makes me wonder. What? What the fuck are you on about? Could you talk some fucking sense for just a second, please? That was heart-wrenching, telling you all that. And all you could say is that it's bloody interesting? I'm really sorry, Dave. I was... I was thinking. Your stories had a profound effect on me, and I'm thinking about a lot of stuff right now. Stuff I'm still unpacking. Pieces I'm putting together. Okay, then. That's all I needed. So, what's your side of the story, then? Let me think a little about how to put it together so I can tell it to you so it makes at least a little bit of sense. It's hard to put it into words, just what happened to me. The fact that you remember as much as you did is impressive. I feel like the experiences I've had in the last hour, day, eon, they're all just little shreds of paper with words and pictures in them, and they've been dumped on the floor in this big messy pile of confusion. Cheers. That image alone is making my head hurt. More tea? I'm okay for now, thanks. It wasn't crushing me like it was for you, I fell. Forever, it felt like. And it was incredibly cold and black. I think it was falling through the blackness, but not the blackness we found on the other side of the ostium doors. The blackness on the other side of the gate in the untethered ostium. I'm pretty sure it's all the same blackness, but I wasn't on anything solid, just continuously falling. And then I landed and survived somehow. I was in a dark room, but it didn't take me too long to recognize myself, or at least recognize the door I could see in front of me. It was the door with the infinity symbol on it, the door that took me to the place where I worked and those clones with the terrible news. I never want to go back there, so I knew for sure I wouldn't be going through that door. Little did I know, I remembered when Monica and I had been in that same space before. We'd come through an opening in the ceiling, so that's where I went. Took a number of tries, but I managed to get through it and out into the blackness all around. I stood on the roof of that room and looked around me, and it was like standing on top of Everest and being able to see all around you, except everything was black. And then I watched something truly unique, some sort of battle. Between a bluish light and the blackness. I don't exactly know what was going on, but there was definitely something. How could you tell exactly? I don't really know. It was a sense I got. The vehemence with which the two colors came at each other. That's what it made me think of. Things started getting pretty crazy and bright. 
I knew it was starting to get dangerous, and I dropped back into the room, having no real alternative. Right. You couldn't exactly jump off the edge, could you? I did think about it for half a second. I could have done exactly that and taken my chances. Maybe I would have landed on something else, or maybe I would have fallen forever. Or maybe that great light show in the sky would have got me and just made me not be anymore. I just didn't know. So I went with the sure thing. And then you went through that door with the infinity symbol on it. You are correct, sir. Even though I told myself I wasn't going to, that I wasn't going to take the risk of going back to that place. Once again, it was my only option. And there was a chance it would be different this time. Perhaps. It was an uncertainty, an unknown. And the only way to confirm one way or the other was to go through the door. So I did, and arrived here. In Roanoke? Yes, but not just Roanoke. Exactly in this specific spot, facing the wall. Really? Do do you know why? You know, for once in this crazy place called Ostium, I could say I do. Which is? Because I knew this is where I needed to be. To find you. To find me? Yes, we needed to meet up. On the other side of the doors of Ostium, through the blackness. The only way it would work is if I anticipated what was happening to you and cut you off at the pass, so to speak. Cut me off for the what? (laughs) It's an expression. I had to predict where you'd be and be there before you, so we would meet. And you did. You knew I'd be here, so you made yourself materialize right here at this specific moment, so I'd find you. Correctamundo. I don't know if I fucking believe you, mate. That's okay, Dave. You don't need to. What I went through, going through the blackness, coming out the other side by my own hand, or really my own thought and mind in this case, it changed me. It made me understand more about Ostium than I've ever known. It made me comprehend. You know, it sounds like something a cult leader might say. But I think I'm with you there. It certainly makes me feel better. So, we've told our stories and drunk enough tea that I'm going to have to hunt down what the 16th century equivalent of a loo is here, and I have a feeling it's a tree. What's next for us? It's time. Time to take on the blackness once and for all. Time to stop it and to get us the fuck out of this place and back to the world we know. The Ostium we know. Do... Do you know how to do that? Before? No. I had no clue. Now? I do. We have to go back to that beach house. Where shit took a turn for the very dark. Okay. And how do we get there exactly? Oh, don't worry. I know exactly how to get us there.
We clean up after ourselves because, well, it's a rule of time traveling, I've just decided. If you time travel and you mess with other people's stuff, you need to clean up after yourself and try your best to keep it as close to the same condition as you first found it. And because, well, it's the decent thing to do. We also put out the lamp and the fire, you know, just in case. What if a great conflagration started, consuming everything, and somehow was able to reach through time to Ostium? I know, it's like totally impossible, but still. It makes me feel better knowing these things are taken care of. As Dave puts away the last mug, he asks, So what door are we headed to then? What door? Yeah, what's your plan for getting us off Roanoke and to wherever this bloody beach house is? We need a door to go through, don't we? I start shaking my head. Oh no. Where we're going, (laughs) we don't need doors. Nice one. No, really. Please be serious for a second. I am. We don't need doors. For real. So I suppose you've got some flu powder in your pocket and you're just going to magic us there? Ten points for Slytherin. Oi! I consider myself a bona fide Ravenclaw, thank you very much. My apologies. And no, I don't need flu powder, but yes, it is a magic of sorts. And no, no door is needed. But I will need to hold your hand. Is this part of your newly discovered supernatural abilities after your adventure with the blackness? You hit the nail right on the head. Now come on, here, take my hand. As soon as he does, I close my eyes and concentrate. I do my best to clear any thoughts of Roanoke and the room we're in from my mind. As soon as I've got it, I picture the setting for that beach house, creating and adding as many details as I can recall, both from my memories of visiting there with my ex some time ago and being there with Monica. One is the real thing, the other possibly the real thing, or an ostium fabrication, or some in-between alternate world. I just don't know for sure. I can see the strip of coastline, the beach, the deep blue of the Pacific, the white crests and froth of crashing waves, the dark sand because it's nighttime, and the phosphorescent algae in ubiquitous quantities forming a unique glowing map of the starry firmament above. And then there's the house, standing tall and impending like a dark shadow shrouded in gloom. There's the promenade leading to the house, following the beach and next to it a road that continues under a bridge and into complete darkness where no more details are needed. I've got it. And that's when I imagine us there, under the bridge in the darkness, with the road and the promenade and the beach and the ocean and the beach house opening up before us. And we're back, at the same place I'm pretty sure I told Monica I never wanted to be again. The place of such horrific carnage, it, well, I really don't want to talk about it anymore. Also, if my plans are correct, I've made a significant change in our arrival this time. I added a fourth dimension to my calculations when working out how to arrive at this exact spot. And if you're not familiar with the fourth dimension, well, let me give you a hint. It's called time. Right, I've arrived at this place earlier than when Monica and I were here last time. Quite a bit earlier. We start heading down the road toward the house, 
I want to get there as quick as possible to confirm my expectations and see if I actually pulled this whole thing off correctly, since it was my first time trying this and all. Dave becomes visibly more agitated the closer we get to the house. He must be remembering my vivid descriptions of what Monica and I found there. Look, do I really need to be here? Yes. I mean, at the moment it all seems to be the one-man show starring you. You know where you're going. You know exactly what you're doing. What do you need me for, then? That's easy. Bait. Dave stops. What? I turn to him, looking directly into his eyes. Look, Dave. I really need you. I need your help. I can't do this without you. This is why we were brought here together. You're now just as much a part of this whole Ostium thing as I am. Really? Yes, definitely. Unquestioningly. Now we need to look inside that house so I can confirm we've arrived at the right time. Okay, well, lead the way, Governor. And then I'm speed walking back toward the house again, not really noticing or caring if Dave is following me. You see, as fun as it is to travel in time and arrive precisely at specific locations when you exactly want to, it doesn't mean time has stopped for you. Time is always moving forward, whatever year, date, or time you've traveled to. Even with time travel, you can't stop it. You can only visit it at different points throughout its life, like a flowing river. You can look into the river right in front of you. You can look upstream as far as you want. You can go all the way downstream, but that river isn't going to stop while you're looking at it. It's going to keep doing what a river does, which is flow toward a larger body of water. You can even jump into the river if you really want to. And you know what's going to happen? That's right. You're going to flow right along with it, whether it's water or time that you're swimming in. As for salmon swimming upstream, applying that rubric to time is a much more complicated upper-level lecture for another time. So let me know once you sign up for that course, and be prepared for a lot of homework. I make it to the house and push open the door. The hallway light is on like last time, and I go through to the dining room, turn on the light, as I'm very familiar with where the light switch is now, and bracing myself, I let out a long-held breath as Dave joins me by my side. He's not screaming, so that's got to be a good sign. There's a dining table and chairs, with place settings in front of each chair. There are no bodies, or body parts, or heads. No people at all. That's perfect. I've arrived at the right time. I don't need to bother checking the rest of the house. Okay, Dave, I say, turning to him. Time for us to get into our positions. The confused look on his face is exactly the one I want him to have when those men arrive. Dave is now where he needs to be, equidistant between the house and the dark tunnel. I tell him to enjoy looking out at the ocean and the lapping waves and the moonlight shining down on the dark sea and don't forget the phosphorescent algae. I don't really care what he wants to look at, but he needs to be ready for when those men come through, because he's the first thing they're going to see once they exit that tunnel. They're going to be wary and confused, on their guard. 
They just got led through the door by Monica on the other side, so they're probably going to be pretty pissed off, too. As soon as they make eye contact with him, that's his cue to start running toward the house, then around it, then toward a spot I've designated and where I'll be real close to. The soldiers could come through any second, but I still have this calm feeling deep within me. Whether it's in my mind or my heart or my soul, I'm not sure, but it's telling me I've still got enough time to do what I need to do. The river is flowing like usual, just like time. Only this time, I'm in a boat and I'm able to control how fast or slow I want or need to go. Well, don't ask me how. It's just something I'm now able to do, like controlling the blackness. So, are you sick of this uh, river is time metaphor yet? Yeah, I'll, um, I'll give it a rest, but don't be surprised if it starts... Uh, pouring through when uh, you least expect it. Okay, it's time to streamline this and get on with the show. Hey, what's wrong? You can't hold your water? And, uh, I'm done. My, uh, my cup runneth over. I jog along the road, passing the house that is now little more than an innocent and welcome abode for people to stay. Having been inside, I'm a lot calmer around it now, something I never would have expected until I set foot in it for the second time. Well, technically, the third time. Second time in the world of Ostium. It wasn't like I sat down and thought out this plan. It kind of all just came to me back in Roanoke. In the space of, what, seconds? Milliseconds? Nanoseconds? Fractions of a nanosecond? It felt almost instantaneous. I've heard a number of authors I like to read describe this feeling during interviews, for how they come up with stories and book ideas. Usually they'll be doing something else to divert their attention, like exercise, going for a walk, a manual task, while in the back of their mind they're telling themselves to think about some plot they're working on. And then, all of a sudden... They'll all be there, coherent and complete, inside their heads. Now they just need to get it written down or typed out before it all goes away. I've always marveled at Stephen King's ability to refrain from writing down story ideas, but letting them mature, adapt, and form in his mind over time. And when they're ready, that's when he starts writing the book. Okay, enough distractions. I'm now also in position. I'm hiding in some bushes with a clear sight of the road in front of me. I can see back to where Dave is standing, and more important, I can see directly in front of me at the spot in the road where I plan to open a door. Or make an opening. Create an ostium. For the soldiers to go through. I know. I know. Where the hell is all this coming from? I've never ever done anything like this before. I know. Like I said, it all just came to me. Back in Roanoke with Dave. And how did it all just come to me? Or more importantly, why? I'm not sure exactly, but I believe it has everything to do with what happened once the blackness enveloped me and I fell and went through that whole crazy experience. I came out the other side, changed. Confident is a word I'd use. Confident about why I was an ostium and what I needed to do now. I still don't have all the details, not by a long shot. And you know, I don't think I ever will. But I feel I know now what needs to be done to start putting things right in Ostium, to stop whatever badness, whatever destruction and decay, 
whatever evil and death has been happening. Hearing Dave's story and what he's seen is a part of that, an important part. It's like it's given me the last few pieces of a puzzle I'm putting together, and while it's pretty much all complete now, I still can't quite work out what the picture is. But I have a good idea of what it might be, or what it's trying to be. Basically, I'm juggling a ton of balls in the air right now, and while before I accepted that many of them were going to be dropped and picked up again, now I'm confident I'm not going to drop any, no matter how many there are. It's just a feeling I have, and I feel great. Fantastic, in fact. And I'm out of time. The cavalry's arrived. Dave carries out his role like an Academy Award-winning actor. He sees the men first, before they see him, and as I'm watching him, I can tell this. His body stiffening, straightening, standing to attention, then a bending of the knees in preparation to run. I look behind him and can just barely see the tunnel, and there are all of the men, looking lost and confused. They try to go back into the tunnel, back through the door they just came from, but it's gone. Closed. They're trapped here for now. They come out of the tunnel, then one spots Dave, pointing at him. The rest all see him, and then Dave is running like, well, like there's a bunch of armed soldiers coming at him. He puts some distance between him and them, but nothing a bullet couldn't annihilate in less than a second and bury itself in his body. He asked me about this, and I explained the plan to him and got him in position. How do you know they're not going to fill me up with bullets as soon as they see me? It wasn't easy to explain, because I didn't really have an explanation other than I just know. It's a feeling, an intuition, a confidence I have in myself and in him, and in those soldiers that they will not open fire. <laughs> he wasn't happy with this, not by any means. But we were already in the thick of it, as he might like to say, and getting out of it wasn't an option. And I'm right. No guns are raised. But they're all charging after him. What they'll do if they actually catch him, I don't have a clue. But it probably won't be good. Fortunately, Dave is a good runner, which might have something to do with what's coming up at the rear, and he's able to maintain his distance. It doesn't take long before he's close to where I am, where there are more trees, where it's darker and there's coverage. He reaches his marked spot and then dives into the bushes on the other side of the road to me. Now I switch my focus to the men. Dave's part has been played out. Perfectly, I might add. Lawrence Olivier would be jealous. They're coming fast, but they haven't seen where Dave went. The cover of trees and darkness work like a charm. They're slowing down, but still jogging, confused once again. Just like I want them. I turn to the space in the road where it's darkest. Then I imagine... I create a world in my mind that is on the other side of this hole, this fissure, this rip in time and space, but their world is vague and nebulous to me, unclear and dreamy, like I'm wearing glasses that are of the wrong magnification. I can see shapes and forms on the other side, hints of color, but I can see nothing concrete or detailed. It could be anything and anywhere, just how I want it. I imbue it with as much reality and life as I can, 
as if I'm pouring my energy and essence into it, birthing it into existence. I can feel my own strength and constitution weakening. This isn't something I can keep up indefinitely, just as I thought, but I can maintain it for long enough. The soldiers keep moving, stepping beneath the trees and into the darkness. One by one, they pass through the ostium and into their world from where they came from. I don't know it, not by any means. Monica never told me. I never had any details. But I'm confident that what I've created is as close to the world they've come from as can be, making it therefore the same exact world they left when they first came into ostium. As the last man passes through, I release the opening, and the ostium closes up like the reverse of a ripple on water until there's nothing there. Then I collapse to the ground, unconscious and wiped. I'm not out for long, as I'm told by a very pale and terrified-looking Dave. The guy was shitting bricks, but not literally. He thought I had died of a heart attack or exhaustion or something. When my consciousness returned to me and my eyes fluttered open, he started crying tears of joy. I took it as a compliment. How long was I out? Not long, mate. A minute or two. Thank bloody God you're alive. I stand up, assessing how I'm feeling. A little dizzy, but okay for the most part. Although I'm really tired. It's to be expected after the amount of energy I used up opening the ostium. We need to move. Now. Follow me. Dave doesn't question, but is right behind me as I start running straight for the house. I know I don't have the liberty of as much time as I'd like anymore. I can feel it. A tension in the air. I almost think I hear static crackling. She's coming. Very soon. I get to the door of the house, throw it open, and once Dave's inside, I slam it closed and start running up the stairs. Dave is being my loyal Igor, following a literal step behind, not asking a question. Good. I don't have the fucking time. Upstairs, I open the door to the first room and am happy to see a window. I don't remember if the beach house of bloody bodies had a window in this room, but at this point, I don't give a shit. As I come close to the window, I turn to Dave and with palms out, I make a stopping gesture, telling him to stay exactly where he is. He understands instantly and halts. Then I put a single finger to my lips. He nods in comprehension. I nod back, then step to the window. Keeping to the bottom right corner, I slowly peek over the edge until I have one eye looking through the glass. It's still nighttime out there, but the moon is also shining, soaking the world in a silvery light. It's enough. There's an electric crackle in the darkness of the tunnel, and like a witness pulse of lightning, I get a singed evil image on my retinas. 1.21 gigawatts of badness. It's her. I recognize the woman instantly, if that thing can be called such. Creature is a better word. She's just like Dave described, the cloak and hood covering and hiding her shriveled form. I don't know what she is. I don't know whence she came. I don't know how she came to be. All I know is that she is behind it all. She is the blackness. This is something I intrinsically know. I feel it in my very bones. If I wasn't an atheist, I'd 
say I have complete and utter faith that she is the root of all that is wrong with osteum. Because I know it to be true, like the laws of gravity and thermodynamics, and the known fact that I am tied to osteum and it is tied to me. Perhaps she is the yin to my yang, the balance. I'm trying to do good and help in osteum. She's the antithesis of this. I know nature and reality like balance like this, matter and antimatter. But in this case, I fucking hate it. And I also don't believe it. Evil doesn't need to exist because of balance. Nature is red in tooth and claw, and cruelty is always alive and well, but does not exist to justify the goodness and kindness of the world. Whatever some religious zealots might tell you. No, however this creature came into being, either some other thing or some other someone brought her here or put her in ostium, or she made herself part of all this. Just as there was nothing natural and logical about my discovering and coming to ostium, there's nothing right about her being here. She's moving now, walking to the, no, floating toward the house. I can't see any shoes or feet beneath the cloak. The material just ends a little above the ground, and below that is nothing but air or something else. She's drifting toward us, while her hood scans from side to side, then does an impossible 360-degree turn, like a lighthouse overlooking the sticks. I have to pull back, wanting to get that incredible fucked-up image out of my mind. Not that I ever can. She's coming closer now, and we begin to hear her. The look on Dave's face is how I feel inside, and probably quite similar to the look I'm wearing on my face, too. I don't know how we're going to get out of this one, but dying of fright is starting to seem like not just a viable, but possible, preferable option. Her voice is that of nightmares and discomfort and pain. Iron filings dragging across a never-ending blackboard. A pit of writhing insects that just sucks one in deeper. One's imaginings of the unbelievable pain of being burned alive. All this in a croaky, phlegmy, whispery sound that can't possibly be created by human vocal cords. The words are drawn out, long and sinuous. Verbal serpents searching for listening victims. try to stop myself shivering and can't. Losing my balance, I roll to the floor, bringing my knees up to my chin, feeling goosebumps over my entire body. last word brings Dave to the ground, his teeth chattering. I don't know how much of this I can take. 
I force myself to let go of my knees and cover my eyes with my palms. Dave gets the idea and does the same. We hope it'll help to block out these horrible sounds. It doesn't. I force myself to stand. She's getting closer. Can't be too far away from the house now. Then she'll make her way upstairs and find us, quivering puddles of helpless, but she'll enjoy separating piece by piece. I don't need to remember what she did to those men the first time, those men that I've now managed to save. At least that's something, something she can't take away from me, something that can't be changed. Leaning against the wall, I drag myself over to Dave, then reach down and pull him to his feet. His cheeks are wet with tears, his eyes red-rimmed. Our arms support each other, and we shuffle toward the doorway. When we reach it, I force him to move along the hallway toward the final room. It feels excruciatingly slow, and I know she's coming closer and closer. We need to get the fuck out of here. I have an idea forming and I seize it in my mind, grasping and clasping onto it like a life ring, pulling myself up, keeping us afloat. We make it to the last door and enter the room, closing the door behind us, not that it will be any hindrance to her when she reaches it. got us to the back of the room and we're on the ground again, on our knees. Dave is holding himself in a ball. He's repeating something over and over. I... I think she's talking about me. I... I think she's talking about me. That's okay for now. I'll need him soon, but not yet. Then I close my eyes and try ever so hard to focus, to push away the fear and the darkness to work on crafting another ostium, this one completely different from the last. I'm exhausted, tired beyond all means. But I know if I don't do this, we're... we're going to discover many things worse than death. The ostium begins to take shape in my mind, and accordingly a pinprick of a hole opens in this reality, leading to the world I'm trying to get us to. Like it was with the soldiers, this is also a fuzzy, blurry, unclear place. If we make it through in time and survive, the details will solidify and become clear. If. But the more I work at it, the easier things become. The faster things move, and I watched the door growing before. Are you little 
last word slams into me like a phantasmagorical punch. I almost lose control completely. The ostium would have disappeared like the closing wink of an eye, but I was able to hold on by the very tips of my mental fingers. Not long to go. Oh shit. She's at the top of the stairs. The ostium is big enough now for us to move through. I'll keep making it bigger to aid us, but we need to move. Now. I grab Dave's arm and pull him up to me. He leans against me. More slumps. I slap his face and he regains little composure. Enough to hold his own, sort of. Keep himself kneeling. I can't support both of us. I start crawling toward the door, pulling Dave along. He's aware enough to understand what I'm doing and helps himself along. She's here. She's got to us. She'll win. We're at the threshold. I wrap my arms around Dave, and he does the same for me. fall into the hole, and as we do, I finally look back. She's there. Her hood is pulled back. A pale skull. Oily tendrils of scant hair, dark pits for eyes. Two even rows of teeth, each one tapered to a fine point. screaming and falling. I regain consciousness after passing out yet again, only this time I'm experiencing a whole new level of weariness. My limbs feel like dead weights. My body feels numb. I wait, and sensation slowly creeps back into them. Then I remember those last few moments. I remember her. I look back, but the ostium is long ago closed. Dave is by my side, 
still out, but he's breathing. I can see his chest rising and falling. There's no sign of the woman or the world we just left behind. I can't help letting out a huge sigh of relief. (sighs) Then I notice I'm breathing in something new, something different. Salty air. No, briny air. We're near the ocean, somewhere. No, better, we're right on the ocean. I can see it just 20 or 30 feet away, small waves lapping against the shore. Not much of a beach, though. I can see a short dock. Looks sturdy and new. There's a boat tied to it. A really flashy-looking motor yacht. Wow, when's the last time I saw one of those? And more like never. The smells and sighs are restoring my energy, and I slowly pull myself to my feet. I can hear Dave coming around now, too. Good. I was starting to worry a little. He was further gone than I was. Passing through could have put him over the edge. But he's a fellow ostium traveler. He's made of strong stuff, just like Monica and I. I turn around to learn more about where I am, and then I see it, and my mouth just drops open. It was behind me the whole time, and I had no idea. I'm staring at something I've seen a number of times on images before, but never in real life though I've always wanted to visit, because it was on the other side of the world from me. As I stare at the rock of Gibraltar, a smile forms on my lips. Well, there's one item off my bucket list. This Supercut episode was written and produced by Alexi Talander. The part of Jake is performed by Chris Fletcher. The part of Dave is performed by yours truly, Alexi Talander. The music was composed by Chris Fletcher. You can help support Ostium and allow me to pay my actors more and get us to events like PodCon by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast. For as little as $2 a month, you gain access to lots of bonus materials like outtakes, Ostium Files, the Welcome to Your Door series of Ostium Vignettes, the Behind the Ostium Behind the Scenes series, and your very own door number. At the $5 level, we'll send you a cool Ostium sticker. And at the $10 level, you'll get access to new episodes a whole week sooner. So why not consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast. Thank you for your support, and see you in two weeks for the start of Season 4.